Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. You are Locked On Mavericks. Your daily podcast on the Dallas Mavericks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Beautiful Locked On Mavericks listener, and welcome to the episode for Thursday, September 15th. I am, of course, Mike Marshall, uh, at Machine Sports on Twitter, if you uh, play along there as well. You can follow the show at Locked On Mavs if you would like to see uh, announcements when new episodes come out, and uh, you know, special episodes will tell you if we have a player on and things like that. What we're going to do today is something uh, a little bit different than what we've done earlier in the week. It is crossover week on the Locked On Podcast Network, which we are a part of, obviously. You know that by now. Go find uh, your Locked On Podcast Network podcast for your favorite NFL team. There's a uh, there's a fantasy ba- basketball version. There's a fantasy football version. And you can go uh, take all those in and be up to speed on everything. And it's daily, which makes it great. Um, it's just like a radio segment, but on your spe- specific team. No, uh, no broad strokes on the NBA. It's all about your team. So... It's a great idea, and we're happy to be a part of it. And uh, it's usually myself and uh, Jake Kemp of The Ticket that do the daily episodes. But today we're going to do something different. Like I said, it's crossover week, and who better to cross over with than the uh, the founder of the podcast network, Utah Jazz play-by-play announcer David Locke. I was on his show, and uh, I figured there were some interesting things in there that you might not listen to if you don't subscribe to Locked on Jazz. So let's put it on Locked on Mavericks. And uh, we have a good discussion on the Mavericks offseason, about the expectations for Harrison Barnes, about uh, you know Andrew Bogut, about how the Mavs and the Jazz are uh, kind of moving opposite scales or opposite directions on the uh, on the train tracks, but they might meet right in the middle, somewhere around the seventh or eighth seeds. So, without further ado, I'll just let you listen to the whole thing, and I hope you enjoy it. We'll be back uh, Monday with a brand new episode for your ears for you to enjoy so you can get your Mavericks fixed. So I hope you enjoy the conversation with uh, David Locke of the uh, Utah Jazz play-by-play man, and you can uh, download Locked on NBA as well. That's his main uh, boo that he uh, works on every single day. So I hope you enjoy it. Thanks.
I'm David Locke, host of Locked on Jazz. And I'm Mike Marshall, host of Locked on Mavericks. I'm not sure as the Jazz and Mavericks get ready for the season if it's too simplistic to say one is clinging for their lives of playoffs and the other is trying to finally make their way into the playoffs and become like the next generation of Mavericks. But it does feel that way a little bit, that our two teams as we head into this training camp are in going in, in different directions. I just don't know if either of us understand where that that arc is crossing or, or who ends up on each side of it. There are two trains that are going completely different directions. And for once this season, I think they're going to, they're almost at the same train train stop somewhere between eight, nine, 10. I mean, you would like to think I'm sure that uh, the jazz could crack maybe top seven or something like that, but they've yet to be uh, proved that they can do that. The Mavericks are that annoying older brother that just won't go away that uh, are just clinging on to the final years of Dirk Nowitzki. And uh, that's kind of what a Mavericks fan is resigned to now. We know we're not going to compete. We know the roster is going to turn over 40% of the starting lineup every single season. And uh, we haven't developed young talent like Utah has. We've done it a completely different way. And this is what a roster looks like when you neglect the draft, you uh, neglect player development for uh, five to ten years at a time, and you're just at the mercy of A-level or sometimes B-level free agents to, uh, to pick your outpost. It's interesting. You talk about those two trains. Last year, I think most Jazz fans thought they were going to be able to get by the Mavericks, and there was this moment mm-hmm. There was this moment in time, and anybody who listened to Locked on Jazz knew it, where I sat there and was like, wait a second. Like, we just are not going to – you just don't want to be in a situation where you've got to win a game against Dirk. Right. Like it's still like it's still he still has that element to him of wait a sec. If we're down to five games left in the season, I got a feeling he's going to be able to go take three of them if he needs to. So if the two trains are at a similar spot at the end of the year, I still think I am scared of Dirk, though. I'm not sure how much is left in that tank. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for the longest time, uh, Rick Carlisle and uh, Dirk, that combination, that formula meant 40 wins. And then you see what you can pile on top of the cake. How many layers can you get on this cake? And, you know, one year, obviously, was uh, the most spectacular year in Dallas sports history, um, winning a championship. But does how long does that formula hold up? You mentioned the end of the year, if Dirk has to have them, uh, can he go get them? And last year, yeah, that was the case. They won seven of their final ten games and finished as the sixth seed, which was the last two years, honestly. They've overachieved for what I thought they would be. And Utah's underachieved a little bit, specifically last year. I thought they'd be above above 500. I'm extremely jealous of their team building. Uh, I'm not jealous of them not having one superstar that they can just kind of prop their feet up and uh, just point at that every time uh, Donnie Nelson gets questioned <laughs> over the last you know, 10 to 15 years. By the way, Dirk just deserves so much credit. The month of March – Dirk went back to scoring 22 points a game, six rebounds, and two assists. He, he fell off the table a little bit as April hit in those final games, still found a way to win him. But how he became a 20-point-a-game scorer again for a whole month, I'll, I'll just always relish. Uh, I, I, you know, we just said goodbye to Tim, and we got to say goodbye to that 13-time All-Star. It's, it's just going to be it's sadness because these are icons of the game. We're just awesome to watch i will tell you it being in dallas last year reminded me of when we were when we jazz fans 
were at the end of the John and Carl run. And a lot of that was, you know, going to the finals. But then there was that little stretch afterwards in which you just kind of knew it was over. And at any moment it could end. Mm -hmm. And that's how it feels to me right now when you're in Dallas and you're in American Airlines uh, arena or center, whichever it is. uh, Every time Dirk makes an awesome play, there's this kind of roar through the crowd of like, I got to see it one more time. And I think it's, there's an awesomeness to, to that. And I really appreciate the Dallas fans seemingly understanding of that right now. Yeah, no, there's nothing like it. Um, a guy that is connected with a fan base so tightly and has been so good to one franchise and so loyal, honestly. Like, he's <laughs> he's been better to the Dallas Mavericks than the Dallas Mavericks have been to him, if we're going to be honest. And it feels like like you always hear about these guys that start, you know, moving like they're running in quicksand and uh, they hit that hard wall. And the season, you know, they have a wasted season that they probably should have hung it up prior to, I mean, I don't know if Dirk's going to do that. I don't see anything in his game that says, um, you know, you're going to hit a wall and you're not going to be you anymore because he's still going to be able to hit a one-legged fadeaway. He's still seven foot. He's going to hang him up whenever he's done having fun. And for me, I would have stopped having fun a couple of years ago, uh, probably after the, uh, the knee injury season, uh, the lockout season for him. But he still loves it. This is what he does. Like, he's bred to play basketball um, and do it very well and shoot like almost nobody in the history of the NBA. And it's going to be a sad day, man. There's no way around. It's going to be a sad year. And it might be year after this one. Obviously, he signed a two-year with an uh, early termination option, which is kind of, you know, some cap maneuvering, some cap gymnastics uh, going into this offseason. If someone is worthy of $20-plus million contract as – you know, most positions are filled in for quite a long time on this team, but point guard or center, if someone's uh, worthy of a 20-plus million, he can early term, uh, early terminate his contract, and then uh, they have money to improve. And he's doing them a favor in this. This is how this always works out <laughs> the last five, last five years in particular since the championship. He's done so much for them, and they've surrounded him with just failing pieces. And they've never done a very good job of surrounding him with, uh, you know, someone to compliment him properly. I guess Jason Terry is the greatest example, and that was almost, you know, just kind of an accident, just a uh, reclamation project from Atlanta type guy. But, you know, they're, they're, they're younger than they've ever been this season, um, I guess since mid-2000s. And I don't know what that means for Dirk. I don't know if we start the bridge to go away. A lot of people thought that was Chandler Parsons to uh, take the reins from Dirk and be the face of the franchise going forward. And the front office wasn't comfortable with, you know, whatever they saw in his, uh, his MRI and his knee or his habits, or they got crossways somehow. And they decided that wasn't a, a thing they wanted to do anymore. All right. We're talking, I'm David Locke of locked on jazz. Mike Marshall is with us from uh, locked on the locked on Mavericks program uh it's all part of the locked on podcast network remember numerous other nba teams and incredible game previews coming or excuse me team previews coming from locked on fantasy and josh lloyd check out that show he's previewed every team or continuing to preview every team in the nba it's just fabulous with josh lloyd and locked on fantasy basketball plus all of the nfl shows matt williamson's locked on nfl leading the way and your favorite team has a locked on as well 
All right, so I'm going to give you your choices. Tell me who you want here. Okay. I have a 24-year-old who last year averaged 12 points, 5 rebounds, and 2 assists. So 12, 5, and 2. He shot 47%, and he shot 39% from 3. He was, however, never guarded. Okay? (laughs) Or I have a 23-year-old, going to be 24 in October, so let's call him, who averaged 15 points, three rebounds, three assists, shot 42% and 36% from three, and was usually the second option on the floor. I, I can dig in and give you deeper numbers on these two of, of what they did and what percentage of their shots were open or not, but let's just trust me that one of them's shots was way more open than the other. Which of those two players would you prefer? I'd probably say the second one because I know the first one's Harrison Barnes. And the second uh, one is who the second one. The second one is Rodney Hood. Ooh, interesting. Interesting. Um, man, that's a good question. They're like they're the same. Yeah, no, they're not that different of players. Um, I guess the pedigree is is slightly different. Uh, Harrison Barnes being the number one player coming out of high school, uh, but no, that's. That's intriguing. I haven't looked at it like that because because one of um, them's making two one point four million dollars next year. <laughs> don't rub it in, please. Don't and rub the it. The other in. just signed a max deal under the new economics. Yeah, good God, that hurts. Whenever you put it that way, um, I guess the upside. I don't even know, man. Like the spin they put on um, the spin they put on signing Chandler Parsons to the deal they did originally is you could just run back the exact same audio clips they did then and use them now and just uh, edit out the name Chandler Parsons and put in the name uh, Harrison Barnes. And they're not going to be that different. It's just rolling the dice once again on a younger guy. And man, Utah is stacked with youth. I can't stand it to look at y'all's roster, honestly, because I see all the dudes that, uh, that we had either a chance to draft a uh, a chance to retain, you know, a la Jay Crowder, um, and just didn't have any interest in the player development side of it. And I don't know if that's a tough pill to swallow for Rick Carlisle to try and figure out the quirks of, you know, guys that are under 25 and he just doesn't have time for them. But it's been to the detriment of, of this team overall, in my in my opinion, honestly. I love Rick Carlisle. I think there's not very many uh, coaches in the league that are better at what they do than him. It's just I can't take watching young talents either walk out the door or just being passed over uh, for an older veteran guy that uh, is going to take up more of your cap. And, I mean, the NFL figured this out a couple years ago of rookie contracts are the most valuable things in basketball. I don't know why the Mavericks – it's taken them, it seems like, um, you know, a dozen years to figure that out. Here's an interesting – and a little bit of this who they – this is why I don't think anyone knows anything about Harrison Barnes. Harrison Barnes only spent 4% of his possessions last year as a pick-and-roll ball handler. Mm-hmm. Now, he was pretty good. He was in the 89th percentile in those. He only spent 8.7% of his possessions in isolation. He was not very good at those. He shot 42.6%. He was in the 53rd percentile. The, 
that's what to me is so interesting is because he just hasn't done. And when you think about Dallas, he's going to run the pick and roll. You'd think he's going to be effective because you run the pick and roll with Dirk. Or he's going to, they've got to have some vision of how they're using him. And yet he hasn't done those things. The contrast to Rodney Hood, if that's our comparison, is that mm-hmm. Rodney Hood used the pick and roll 30% of his possessions last year. And isolation, wow. 9%. Hood's, Hood's one of the top three isolation players in the NBA last year, and he's in the 77th percentile in pick and roll. Maybe Harrison Barnes is that good, too. We just never got the chance to see it. I, that's what I think is so bizarre. Or, um, And I actually think that Donnie Nelson and Rick Carlisle are so well-prepared all the time that they usually know something. I'm so curious to see what they know on this. Yeah, I hope I hope that's the case. Like, if you want to spin it positive, I hope that's the case. That there's some kind of potential there that hasn't been used, obviously for what uh, you know scenario he was in with Golden State. But it almost feels like to me, knowing this Mavericks franchise as closely as I do, that you you bought a you bought a new car and then it came without cup holders, and you're just kind of talking yourself into, hey, I don't need cup holders. Who needs cup holders? Those are silly. But I mean, with Chandler Parsons going out the door. For all the warts he has and things that people would nitpick and, uh, you know, people would throw the contract around and say he's never going to be an all-star player. Okay, whatever. That's fine. He was a really good pick-and-roll player and a really good secondary ball handler. And so was Raymond Felton at times last year. So there are, good God, I don't know, what, 20 possessions a game now up for grabs in a uh, pick-and-roll situation as a secondary ball handler that are going to be out there. And Harrison Barnes hasn't done it. That doesn't mean he can't do it. Uh, that means we haven't seen it. And I like that, you know, he's high in, you know, 89th percentile in pick and roll uh, ball handler. But it seems like there's a very drastic learning curve for him this offseason. Let's go big picture here for a second, because I think this is where the West gets fascinating this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it involves everyone we're talking about, truly. So, I feel like there's three teams, young teams in the West, and and frankly, there could be four if Demarcus Cousins gets off the crazy train. Um, but that's <laughs> but that seems like that seems like an awful lot to ask. Um, in Utah, in Minnesota, in mm-hmm. Denver, and maybe in Sacramento, that really are are pushing. New Orleans has just got you know so many things that have with the Drew Holiday tragedy that's taking place with his wife right now, or hopefully not tragedy, just hopefully bumping the road. Um, mm-hmm. you know. And then we have Dallas and Memphis. And I don't know where San Antonio fits. I think with Kawhi and LaMarcus, they stay away from it. And the Clippers, I think, just have still enough in their tank, but they certainly are getting a good deal older with less and less of a bench every year. The, the question to me is how much do we get a paradigm shift in the West? How many of these teams leapfrog the old vets that are hanging on? See, I, I think Memphis is going to be terrible. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think they're going to be able to score. And then when you couple the fact that they're not going to be able to score with the fact that you're asking two 35-year-olds to defend, I'm not sure I even think they're going to be able to defend that well. Yeah, I don't love uh, what the Grizzlies did necessarily after seeing Chandler Parsons for two years here uh, and their whole formula to begin with. And then you look at OKC is going to have a substantial drop. Um, You know, I like what Denver and Minnesota are doing, but it's been the same thing with them and New Orleans over the last 
you know, three years of, okay, that's fun. You're building your, your team building part of your franchise is clearly on an uptick. Does that even mean 35 wins? Like, let's get there first. Um, same with Sacramento. Like, I would love it if one of these teams proves that you can, uh, you can rebuild pretty quickly um, with some high draft picks and bounce in there. But I think that 6-7-8 is going to be Memphis, Utah, Dallas in some order. And I think Houston is slightly better than that. And I think Portland, uh, if they're lucky, I hated their offseason, but if they're lucky, they can hold on to, I don't know, maybe the fifth seed. And then, you know, Golden State and San Antonio are clearly, I feel, a cut above uh, the rest of that gaggle. And then the Clippers are kind of on their, their own island to me as well. But I heard Kevin Felton say on, on your, uh, your program, I guess, last week, 13th in the West. And that's, that's, that's a little insane to me. And that sounds like what people were predicting last, uh, last offseason or last uh, training camp that, uh, you know, Mavericks would be worst in the West. And I guess that was some kind of tanking um, incentive there. But you have to know, if you ask any Maverick fan, that we're just riding out Dirk's final years and they're going to do whatever they can to be competitive for him. So they're never going to tank until he's sitting in the uh, front office. It's interesting. It's really going to be interesting on how it all plays. Uh, and and there's and it's in one sense there's the, the most talked about storyline will be Golden State. On the other mm-hmm. sense, the more interesting storylines are exactly what we just talked about. Who are going to flip flop? How's San Antonio's culture without Duncan? What is the Oklahoma City without Westbrook? Um, you know, I don't love what Portland did in the off season either, and I'm not convinced. Uh, I'm not convinced, and this is unfair because they did earn everything they got last year. I'm just not convinced they're as good as everyone thinks they are. Um, yeah, you know, their point differential last year was 0.8, which is barely, you know, barely a 42, win, you know, it's a 42, 43 win team. I'm not, I know they, they made the run. They got the the first round playoff win with everything that took place. And, and I, I don't know. I just, maybe I'm unfair. I just feel like I think that that, that their, their story's gotten a little overblown by their win over the Clippers last year in the playoffs when the Clippers, you know, clearly were no longer that team. Yeah, I, I hated the offseason. Their their road record is that of a non-playoff team uh, off of last year. You mentioned the differential. I just don't know where they go. Like, how do you get better? Like, if it's not just natural progression of players um, year to year. I mean, I really like Al Camino, but he's limited. And obviously McCollum and uh, Dane Lillard are special players, but – I don't think they can top – I mean, 44 wins isn't that great in a normal Western Conference year. I mean, the year before last, I think it took, what, 49 or 50 for the Mavericks to barely get in. So 44, I don't see that as being a, uh, a sustainable fifth seed win total. I think Oklahoma City is exceptionally interesting to me, um, just for the obvious reasons that everybody wants to see. And then I'd love it if Utah was good. I really like what they've done. I really like mo- most of their dudes. Most of their players are dudes like um, – I've been doing a lot of NFL lately, and I keep on watching, like, the Jaguars because they drafted all the guys that I wanted the Cowboys to pick. Like, Utah's the same way. Like, I wish we had, like, four of those dudes. They keep on, like, taking the guys that I would really love to build a team around. And then the rest of them, man, I think 
there's a clear line between that Dallas, Memphis, uh, Utah, Portland, Houston group, and those teams that are still too young um, in Sacramento, Denver, New Orleans, Minnesota, Phoenix, and L.A. But that, that five through nine is going to be exceptionally interesting because those are pretty good teams, and every single game is going to matter. Yeah, I think Minnesota gets in there. I think Carl Anthony Towns. You think is, so? Yeah, I think Carl. Wow, okay. I think Carl Anthony Towns is historically great. Like, yeah, I, I think, Thibodeau, like I think he wins the MVP in five years, maybe less. Nice. Okay. Um, that's, I mean, I just that's like exciting. when the draft, like two years ago, when that draft was going on, if if you had been listening to me, I was like beside myself. I was like, whoa, like what are people talking about? This is not like. This is not a discussion. Like one of these is going to be in one of these players is going to be in the Hall of Fame. Like he's he's an MVP. And at the time, I said that Carl Anthony Towns will be the MVP when we get bored voting for Anthony Davis. I actually now think that Anthony Davis will be the MVP when we get bored voting for Carl Anthony Towns. <laughs> yeah, that, that would make a lot of sense. And then, like, I guess to spin it back to the Mavericks, <laughs> we're just kind of sitting over there. Like, just uh, biding our time um, until it can be an acceptable thing, uh, an acceptable pill to swallow to rebuild. Because that's what it's going to take. And I think people have wanted that to happen for a really long time. Um, And the moment you mention you can't do that to Dirk, they say, yeah, okay, I get it. But it doesn't keep you from, I don't know, maybe once every two to three months getting frustrated with the situation. Um, a lot of people like thought they should have rebuilt in 2012 um, and maybe, you know, a rebuild and bounce back might find them in the exact position they're in at this moment. For me, it was, uh, it, it was 2012 whenever Dirk shredded his knee um, doing his little world tour where they played in Germany. Um, and I think, I think his knee was messed up whenever they played there. He just didn't tell anybody. And then they came back home and he magically had a little tear in his knee and uh, was going to miss a couple months. That was the year when they fought back to make it to 500. And if you remember, remember them having the, uh, the 500 beards, there was nothing to play for that season. Like, that made no sense. And you getting to 500 was the difference between Shane Larkin and C.J. McCollum or Giannis. Yeah, or you could have drafted, like was... or, or drafted Trey Burke or Michael Carter-Williams. <laughs> That's true. They wanted Michael Carter-Williams. Right. That's who they really wanted. They wanted a point guard. They wanted Michael Carter-Williams, and he went off the table. So they dropped back, um, talking themselves into saving a little bit of money for a draft pick because they were in the hunt for Dwight Howard that offseason. And dropping back saying that, oh, all these picks are the same. Let's go get Shane Larkin. When in reality, if you didn't try to get back to 500 that season, you could have had C.J. McCollum. And that, that hurts. And I keep saying that to myself. And, yeah, you're right. Trey Burke or Michael Carter, MCW could have happened just as well. But you put yourself in the best positions, and oftentimes they haven't because they're stubborn about it. I will leave you on this note. Rudy Gobert was the 27th pick of that draft. <laughs> okay. There you go. Could have had him as well. I'm David Locke yeah. of Locked on Jazz. He's Mike Marshall of Locked on Mavericks. Check them all out on the Locked on Podcast Network.